You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. The analogy I always make when you're working on a new piece is that I'm just the midwife. Like, I'm the one that wants to make sure the baby comes out alive, 10 fingers, 10 toes, breathing, you know, and like full of potential, really. <laughs> this is East Side Story, and I'm your host, Chiang Ng. Each week, I sit down with an Asian or Asian American artist working in the New York theater scene, and I excavate their life story how they grew up, how they got their start in theater as well as projects they've worked on and upcoming work that we should anticipate. This week's guest is Desdemona Chang. She just received the 2019 Princess Grace Award for her work at the Fifth Avenue Theatre. She is also the co-artistic director of Asiotrope in Seattle, and her directing credits include the Oregon Shakespeare Festival, Seattle Rep, and Classic Stage Company in New York. I got the opportunity to work with Desdemona on my musical, Eastbound, at the Village Theatre's Festival of New Musicals. And we snuck into a studio in Seattle just to record this episode. Enjoy! Okay, we're going to jump into... Jump in! Jump right in. <laughs> um, tell people who you are, what you do, and a little bit of, like, a little tidbit about yourself. Good gosh. Uh, my name is Desdemona Chang. I am a theater director based in Seattle uh, and Ashland, Oregon. Um, and I work primarily in new work and Shakespeare, which I guess is kind of like everything, I guess. Is it the classical yeah. work? Is it the old stuff or new stuff? Yeah, I guess I kind of do. Everything. I, oh. Everything. And, and how long have you been directing? Ooh, um, I mean, it depends on when you start calling yourself a professional, really. Uh, and I would... Uh, I would comfortably say 15 years. Wow. Right. I got my first review in the paper about mm. 15 years ago. And that was like, of course, you know, 99 seat black box production. But that's out of college kind of, you know, that's pretty much when I started. What so I that's, yeah. this is the teaser. We're going to, before we delve, <laughs> before we delve onto all of that, we're going to like backtrack, backtrack, backtrack yes. to like, tell me. How you grew up? Where did you grow up? And what is like that background? Do you have siblings? How is your family like? Yeah, okay. What was that like? Ooh, okay, uh, I'm an only child, mm -hmm. um, which means I'm very generous and very selfish <laughs> at the same time. It means you can have anything of mine that you want to use, but just know that it's mine. <laughs> um, I was born in Taiwan mm. um, and came to the U.S. when I was three and a half. Um, my parents. Uh, came on a student visa, and I was raised by my grandmother wow. in Taipei. 
Um, and I have very, very faint memories. Like my first memories of being alive are of Taiwan. Wow. Right? So it's like taxi cabs and, you know, streets. And, and of course, you know, when I was younger, we'd go back and forth during the holidays because at the time my great-grandmother was still alive. Mm. And so once she passed away, I was nine years old. And I think wow. that's when my grandmother moved to America. And so my whole family is now living in America, um, in L.A. I'm pretty much an ABC, even though I'm not technically born in America. Mm-hmm. I've, I've, I feel like I've been raised as with American social values. Mm-hmm. Um Chinese home values, but American public values. You know what I mean? Oh my God. <laughs> that like juxtaposition is like so real. Yeah. So real. Yeah. So, um, and so, and you know, and so we would, you know, over the holidays, whenever I'd be on winter break from elementary school, my parents and I would go back to Taiwan and, you know, and, and always was able to overlap somewhat with Chinese New Year, which is great because then you got a little bit of it depends on the it depends on what the year was. Right, sometimes right, right. it'd be like, great. Winter break is right up against January, right near Chinese New Year. You get all the home bow and everything. It's great. <laughs> um, my upbringing was largely in Southern California, east of downtown LA, mm-hmm. um, and a very immigrant heavy. A lot of Asian folks, a lot of Latinx folks, a lot of black folks. And so I've always grown up in a very multicultural environment. Mm -hmm. Um, And then kind of didn't do, I mean, as far as like getting into the world of theater, didn't really do a lot of theater growing up. Mm -hmm. Um, Like any good Chinese kid, I was going to be a doctor. (laughs) Because I had this moment when I was, I must have been five or something. And Mm -hmm. my parents were in a car and my parents were arguing about something. And apparently they were arguing about my college tuition. Wow, when you were five. <laughs> five years old, sitting in the back seat. And remember, and my parents had gone to Cal State Fullerton, mm-hmm. which was like, you know, a lovely uh, state school in Southern California. And my dad was like, well, she can go to Cal State Fullerton. And my mom was like, no, she's not. She's going to Harvard. <laughs> and she turns around and she looks at me and she says, you're going, to ho- you're going to go to Harvard, right? And I was like, I don't know what's Harvard. She's like, yes, you're going to go to Harvard. I can't believe you can remember this when you were five. Yeah, well, it's because it was such a pointed moment of my mom looking me dead in the eye and like, do not fail me. You're going to go Ivy League. Don't fuck this up. You're five years old. Don't fuck it up. And I was like, okay. I had no idea what that was. And my dad was like, why are you pressuring her to go to Harvard? She's five. But, oh, my God. But from then, I've always, ha- I've always had this feeling of... Um, like needing to achieve, right? And of course, when you're the, I'm also the oldest of all the grandchildren in the family. Mm. And even though, like, my next cousin, my co- the cousin who's younger than me is only younger by three months, mm. right? But there was still, like, you're the oldest. You have to set an example. Whenever we had, like, family things, like, you're in charge, right? So I felt like, and maybe, you know, on that on top of being an only child um, gave me a, a kind of tendency towards leadership, mm. you know? And and it reflects in your work. I, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it really, it really does. It does. It really does. And for whatever reason, that also maybe is, is kind of adjacent to um, a desire to overachieve. Oh, you know. Yep. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, well, and, and yeah, I, yeah. And I and I didn't even know what that was about, other than I knew that I'm also like incredibly competitive. You know, and that helps. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I'm an only child, and so all the resources went to me. I never had to share. I'm very like narcissistic. My boyfriend would tell you that I'm very self. Uh, I, I guess you wouldn't say self-centered. Very like self-actualized mm. is what he would say. Mm. Um, that there's very much like a me, me, me. The way kind of the way I see the world. I'm very compassionate, but I'm also very narcissistic. Mm. Um, but so growing up that way, I knew that success meant medical school. I knew that success meant, you know, like, uh, for some reason, like, doctor happened to be the thing that 
was generically imprinted on me that I never really questioned. And mm. it just so happened that I was very good at science, right? I went to school, public school in, in LA. And like when it came to like things like biology and calculus, I was like, boom, 4.0, like top 10, everything. And I did all the academic stuff, like mock trial, decathlon, uh, I'm like, I don't like, know what all those things are. Oh, but. these are all like, yeah, these are all, <laughs> these are all like extracurricular, smarty pants, nerdy programs Amazing. that kids in public school do in America. Um, and then so I, yeah, I just, you know, was, ex- did really, really well. Um, I did not get into Harvard. My Aww. mother was very sad when it happened. But uh, the good news is that me, I went to UC Berkeley. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and luckily, in some ways, I was very lucky to not get into Harvard because I think I would have maybe not liked it. I don't know, actually. Mm-hmm. I knew that when I was doing the tour of the various campuses I wanted to go to, I went, I, my parents and I visited Berkeley. And within like 30 seconds of being in that area, I just, you know what, I'm, I'm coming here. I'm coming here. Wow. But anyway, I guess, yeah. So I went to, I went to UC Berkeley and I was going to get a degree in biology. Oh. Um, so they can go apply to medical school. Yes. And then the first semester of my freshman year, uh, my undergraduate advisor said, Desdemona, you can't be taking all of these science classes. You're taking, like, physics, chemistry, calculus. You have to take an arts elective. Aww. And I was like, okay, fine. I have to take an arts class. And my friends in biology said, yo, you know, there's this class in the theater department. It's called Intro to Acting. It's a fucking joke. Okay? It's like you stand in a circle and you play this game called Zip Zap Zop all day. And you play charades. No papers. No lectures. Right? No tests. You just show up and you get an A for showing up. Dude, best class ever. And I was like, sweet. Easy A. I'm going to med school. So I took this class called Intro to Acting in the theater department. And it was a class full of other engineers and bio people, like business school people, like a lot of like non-majors were in that mm-hmm. class. And uh, we did. We played Zip Zap Zop. And we totally <laughs> played charades and there were no papers, no lectures uh, and no tests. And I totally got an A. Um, but that class was also when you start doing things like make intense eye contact with people and you're mm-hmm. doing the mirror exercise and suddenly you're being vulnerable. And I was playing in a way that I was not playing when I was in high school mm. or younger, right? Came from a very serious environment, very studious, very austere. Um, and so this idea of like finding a kind of release or creativity was was new and scary and kind of exciting, um, and so after that, I thought, well, that was fun. Um, I guess I'll take another acting class. <laughs> and I would, so that that began my like relationship with the theater department, that where I would essentially incredible. spend my days in the lab in the bio department, and then run across campus at five in the afternoon to like do tech or something for a show. And I was living two lives. I was living like bio by day, drama by night. Wow. And all of my friends. I mean, I, the the friends in theater were just cooler, you know. The parties, <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> the theater kids were cooler. I think you know they were smoking cigarettes and like we had we had more but better booze. Like the crazier parties. Like my friends and I were not having these ragers the way that the theater kids were. And so I just, I mean, at, at, at the time I didn't know what you know the social value of theater, like the life-changing, transformative, all these, all that stuff, right? I was just thinking, oh, this is fun. I love doing it. It makes me happy. It's a release. I don't have to worry about like derivatives and integrals and calculus and God knows what else, And right? So 
I was doing a lot of that. It was the thing I wanted to, the thing I had to do during the day and the thing I wanted to do at night. Wow. <laughs> you live such dual lives. Yes. You like, there's so much duality in terms of like, like you being an only child and you being compassionate, but also like narcissistic <laughs> and then like loving theater, but also like a, like a science person. Like, yeah, it's beautiful. It's a very, it's a very polarized, I'm a very polarized psychology. I love it. <laughs> I love it. It's like, oh my God. And this is why like when I read Eastbound, and I was like, oh, holy moly. I totally understand. I totally understand, like, the yeah. way the play is cut in half. And I, in some ways, I, I also do think, for me, like, philosophically, the world works when there's contrast. Yes. Right? And, yes. and this is also the, the nut of, like, when I do, when you see good work, there's variety in good work. Like, there is no, without, there is no sweet without the bitter. Mm-hmm. Right? There is no good without the evil. All, all of those things. Like, you, you, it can't just be a one-sided story you're telling. Mm-hmm. So for me, contradiction and contrast, um, I tend to gravitate toward that. Mm-hmm. And I, just because I feel like then you, then you see the potential for what range feels like, what, you know, what a spectrum can be. Um, yeah. I don't know. So that's, and that and that was your first foray into theater. So college yeah. was your first foray into theater. Uh, officially, yes. I mean, I I did like one school play when I was in high school because uh-huh. I thought it would be good on my resume. Because <laughs> I was like, I, I love that it's like because it will look good on my resume, so that I can go again to Harvard. Yeah, pretty that much. Like- <laughs> I was like, what else have I not done? I, uh, you know what? I should do a theater thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll do that. I'll do that. And I diversifying your resume. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, we did a production of Midsummer Night's Dream. And, and I played, I don't know, I mean, I, 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 I played the role of, like, Hermia's father, but really her mother, what? Aegea. She has, like, two lines on top of the play and then, like, disappears at the end. So it was like, great, boom, take that off. I'm a resume drama. <laughs> it was a great resume pattern. I really, I really didn't take seriously all the things that were involved and certainly was not invested emotionally um, in the role. And what do you think changed? I mean, you just said that when you were in uh, college, you started doing theater, right? And, yeah. and even though that play didn't like change you or tr- transform you, like, was there a pivotal moment where it was like, oh, this is what I need to be doing? I mean, because it's a, it's a huge leap. It's a huge leap. Yeah. It da- that didn't happen for me until after I graduated. Because oh. for a long time, you kind of go, great, great, great. I, I did, I, I finished school. I had four years of fun with my theater mistress. Now it's time to <laughs> hunker down and actually like get a job and like be real, right? Like right. grow the fuck up and get a real job. Right. So I, after I graduated and I graduated with a double major. <laughs> I can't. I love that you're so overachieving and then you're like, Oh, yes, yes, I am doing all these things, but also I'm also killing it in my academic department. Oh, well, I think at, at a certain point, I, the bio, I mean, clearly, if you if you were to look at my transcript from undergrad, uh-huh. the number of drama classes that started to creep in. By the end, I was taking the bare minimum to finish my biology major, and I was taking, like, 20th century feminist drama, and I was taking, like, all of these extracurricular theater classes. Yeah, and so yeah, it, was, yeah. it was pretty apparent that, like... I did achieve both things, but I wasn't like loving all the work and bio. Right. You know, I right. I finished it because I knew that it was a thing I had to do, and I think I actually intended to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did call my mom, and, and I was like, "Mom, so I'm thinking about doing theater." And there's a silence on the other end of the phone. <laughs> like you came out. Like, <laughs> I came out as a theater artist. <laughs> <in my mom. laughs> 
she was like, okay, okay, I want to support your choices. I want to see, I'm going to be a cool mom. I'm going to be a cool mom. I'm going to be an American mom. I'm going to try to like support my daughter's radical decision to do more theater. Um, and it, and I think t- for, a wa- for a long time, she was hoping that I would just kind of get over it. Oh my God, this is such an Asian parent thing. You know, like it's a phase. It's a phase. Yeah. Once she realizes that she'll go broke doing this, she'll give up and she'll go to law school. Because there was a moment where I decided that I wasn't going to go to med school. Wow. Um, and that was, t- that came actually while I was at Berkeley. I had a moment where I, it became clear that medicine wasn't going to work for me. And it was a very, it was a very potent moment when, um, in my junior year, I was taking a class called human anatomy. And anatomy was when you had to dissect cadavers. I don't know um, what that is. Oh, a dead body. <laughs> a de- yeah, you had human bodies. So you, so, so you had hu- human bodies and body bags. And, you know, it was a big group class. And you had to unzip the body bag. And there was a male and a female cadaver. Fa- one was face up, one was face down. And you would essentially go through and look at all the organs, all the tissues. All the- and it was, I mean, you have to because, duh, you're taking a biology yeah, class. Yeah, I'm like right? so in shock now. Oh, okay. Yeah, but you have to do that. And um, and I, wa- I remember walking in class that first day and seeing two body bags in the classroom. And I just kind of went, oh, those are, that's two people. Yeah. Two people. And and the way that I found uh, the, I mean, to do the work well, you can't get touchy-feely about it, right? Yeah. It's tissues and cells and specimens and organs. And it's a very clinical approach at looking at disease wow. and a very clinical way of looking at pathology. And for me, that was what biology was about. Mm. And meanwhile, I'm going to do theater. And Where we're you talking, need to be all vulnerable and just, shit. Yep. And like open yourself up and yeah. like, oh right. my God, I'm like getting like, oh, all chills. The <laughs> No, all the feelings. So I was like trying. So so I, so whatever bio, biology was undoing the work theater was doing, and theater was undoing the work that biology was doing. Wow! And it was hard for me to study things like human suffering without asking myself, why is there suffering in the world? Why is the yeah. world bad? Why is there cancer? Why do people get cancer? Right? Did you find an answer? No. I don't. I don't. That, I mean, that's why we do art because we keep looking for that answer. Yeah. Right? We don't know what happens after we die. We don't yeah. know when the beginning of time was. We don't know all of the big questions. Yeah. But it was hard to focus on the details of the science when I was constantly being prodded by big questions in the arts. Right. So. So that class, I mean, it taught me, I mean, it taught me a lot about anatomy, of course, but it also taught me a lot about my capacity to hold what I, like the, my, my, my emotional vessel got so big because of theater. Mm -hmm. And I would find myself in like anatomy class, like, you know, looking at organs and like weeping. It was very, I mean, in some ways a little embarrassing. No, it's, it's human. Yeah. And I would look at, I mean, because also we had um, uh, above these body bags were like the death certificates of the people. They would black out the names. We didn't know the names of the individuals, but you saw like, you know, male, uh, African-American, 67, died of kidney failure. And so I would just like look at this information and in my mind start constructing a narrative about who this person was. How do they die? How did they get kidney failure? Did they have any loved ones? Like, where do they live? And I was like, this is not helping me with my studies. Yeah. This is not a great way to be doing a science thing, right? Yeah. So that, that I think, was what just happened to click for me at the time. And then- with the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And you didn't think that that was the turning point. You thought that you, you personally think that your turning point was after college. Yeah, the, the, so... I graduated undergrad and then I didn't know what to do with myself. Mm. You know, I didn't want to I didn't want to take the GRE and go to grad school for something I didn't really care about. Mm-hmm. Um and I fell into this like deep depression, oh. which I think a lot of which I you know, when I when I think about the number of folks I've talked to who like in their mid-20s go through some kind of, like, life crisis. It's not uncommon, me. right? Yeah. Literally me. Yeah. Between the ages of 20 to 25, mm-hmm. there's that moment of, oh, I've been institutionalized my entire life from grade school, middle school, high school, university. I've known, I've been, I've been given a template for how to live for my so life. long. And yeah, everything yeah, yeah. was always, I always knew what the next goal post was. Yeah. And then once I graduated college, it just became like this open field of possibility that was like very terrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, I was financially, like I did not have any sense of financial intelligence. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the most part, just being thrust into like adulting <laughs> was yeah. a little tough and then and then not knowing. And then for some reason being preoccupied with the idea that I had to be happy in what I did. I mean, like it feels like that's what everybody is striving for, no? I mean, yes, but I think there's so many people out there for whom work is work. And mm. and to feel like happiness... It's it, tied to your job satisfaction. Yeah, it also feels like a very like first world problem kind of oh, thing. Oh, absolutely. It's such oh, a privilege. Like, oh, poor baby. You don't love your job. Like, get the fuck off yourself. Yeah. I don't know. I just didn't know what I wanted to do with my career, like with my life life, right? Mm. Like, what what is like the long game at this point? Once I once I cut the biology cord, it was like my entire, the, my entire concept of who I wanted to be was like gone. And I was like oh. blank slate and I was really scared. And I thought, I was like, well, when was I actually really happy? Mm. I was really happy when I was doing theater. Okay, so it's not going to pay any bills, but let me at least do some small shows during the day. I mean, or, or during during the evening, I'll do a day job. And so I was, I was like temping and then doing like small black box shows at night. Right. As a director you know? or as an actor? Uh, I first got into a... I first got involved with a small theater company in Berkeley called Impact Theater as an actor. Mm. I went to like a general audition and I got cast as Lady Macduff in a production of Macbeth. I had one kick-ass fight scene and like four lines. It was fantastic. (laughs) And there's a lot of strawberry jam as blood involved. It was a very campy machine gun, basement theater, Shakespeare. It was (laughs) so much fun though, Mm. right? Like it it was definitely not high art, (laughs) but it was very fun. And I felt, and that was when I felt like engaged and connected again with people. Um, and so I thought, great, I'll just keep doing that. Um, and so I, and so then that that led to like assisting on a show, and then eventually directing for them. And then, meanwhile, I had gotten a job working in new media, um, just doing like 
marketing stuff, a very corporate-y kind of mm-hmm. position. I did that for a couple of years and then decided, you know, I think I actually want to do the theater thing for real, for real. And people ask, like my family, like, are you, sh- you going to make money? How are you going to eat? How are you going to pay your rent? Uh-huh. You know? And my mom is like, oh my God, she's going to be a cabaret singer somewhere. <laughs> she's going to be like, you know, busking on the street. Um, I can't sing, first of all, but <laughs> the equivalent of, you know, yeah. like, you know, in some dingy jazz club or something. She was just so nervous about, like, my integrity. Yeah. Um, I mean, from- my, my mom recently came for my thesis project and she said, it's not too late if you don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> At your thesis project? Goodness, yeah. you're getting a master's degree. I know. Come and then on. she said, she said, on the steps of Grand Central, she said, if you... If you decide that you don't want to do this anymore, we can always start somewhere new. Like, just start afresh. Oh and I was God. like, was yeah. my thesis project that bad? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but my mom was definitely a little like, okay, so, you know, she's going to do theater for the rest of her life. And a little ner- she's like, oh, how are you going to make it work? And then I decided, do I want to go to grad school? Mm-hmm. You know, I've been out of school for five years. It wouldn't hurt to get reinstitutionalized again <laughs> into a program. It would give me some structure. Yes, um, yes. So I applied and then, um, you know, got a, an interview with the University of Washington in Seattle. Mm. Um, and then came here for an interview. And within 30 seconds of landing in Seattle, I was like, I want to come here. Wow. I felt, I just, you know, I walked down University Avenue and it was really funny. I walked down University Avenue right by UW and all all it was, I literally, I just saw a bento restaurant and I was like, there's a bento restaurant here. I'm coming here. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you said that you wanted to go to Berkeley. This like also 30 seconds in 30 seconds. It was very much. And I didn't, I mean, and I didn't know if I would get in because, you know, I don't know if you know, but directing programs for grad school are pretty competitive. Mm -hmm. At UW, um, they take two every other year. Wow. So um, I was like, all right, fingers crossed. And I went in. It was a four-hour-long interview slash, you know, directing demonstration you do. Where they make you direct the first act of the cherry orchard or something crazy. Uh Um, But, you know, I... They flew me in. I did the interview. I went back home to San Francisco. And then, you know, the following Tuesday, I got a phone call that was like, we wanted to accept you in the program. And I was wow. Like, yeah. I mean, I totally feel you there in terms of like being out of school, having no structure, going into the world blind, and then a like, craving structure and like mm-hmm. craving. That's also why I went back to grad school, yeah. like craving some kind of like institutional being like, you have to go to the, you have to come to school this time and yeah. like attend this amount of classes. Yeah, do not do- get drunk. Do not cut class. Like it's funny <laughs> because at the time, like when you're an undergrad, when I was an undergrad, I was not like... When I try to impart onto young people the value of education and yeah. academia, it's like you don't get it. You don't get it. You until really you lose don't it. get it. Like I mean, I'm the same way. Yeah. When and and it, and it's cyclical. It just happens to everybody. Because <laughs> when you're in it, you just don't know. You're like, Ugh, I just want out. I want this is awful. Yeah. And once you're out, you're like, please put me in that sweet, sweet womb of academia. I just want to be cradled by the womb of academia. Yes, again. please. Safety. Yeah. And doesn't have to, like if you fail, that's fine. Like it's just like yeah. Do whatever the fuck you want. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I missed that. So, and so, and so I went into grad school in Seattle, very, very cognizant of 
the inevitable graduation date. And so from day one, I was like, okay, I got three years. I will not graduate and fall into a second depression where I don't have structure. And so really from my first day of grad school, I was planning like, okay, internships, fellowships, jobs, gigs. We are so Asian. (laughs) I feel like only the Asians will do that. I'm I'm seriously, I went into grad school. I said, this is masterclass time. I'm going to take every single minute, every single second as like a time to learn. And then like figure out what I want to do with the rest of my life and like plant the seeds so that I can, you know, take step at a step at a step at a step at a time so that I can, well, I'm not succeeding in in terms of like what I envision it to be, but I think I'm on the way, you know, like plot, like planting those seeds from day one to grad school. Yeah. That's how I felt. I just, I just knew that I was not going to let myself graduate and then be in this oh no what now place because I felt I remember feeling so helpless mm. when that happened to me and feeling like I had no agency which was complete bullshit because I had complete agency and I just right. either I didn't know it or didn't realize it or couldn't tap into it for whatever reason right. um, I just was determined to not feel like I didn't want to wake up the day after graduation and go okay now what Mm. Right. I want to be able to go day after graduation. Great. I'm going to my next project or I'm going to go into rehearsal in like a week or a month, whatever it was. I just wanted to know that there was a next step in front of me after I graduated. But that 100 percent is Asian. Though. Like <laughs> It really it really is. I'm generalizing and that is not a good thing to do. But I it's true. It's that's my experience in my experience. Yeah. Do you think. I mean, this is this is quite a life story. Yeah. And there's still more to go. Oh my gosh. But do you think. Being Chinese has shaped that progression in any way. I mean, I guess it has to because I don't know what it's like to not be Chinese. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, all I have is my point of view with yeah. uh, I was just recording the lyrics from the song. I just realized. <laughs> uh, I mean, really, my, my, my the lens on how I see the world is inevitably Chinese. Mm-hmm. The, people ask, like, do you have any regrets? Right. The only regrets I didn't start sooner. Right. And also it's tricky, too, because then you get into this question of like, OK, am I entering a field that doesn't have me in its legacy, mm-hmm. too, right? You're talking about, you know, I'm studying like Shakespeare and Chekhov and Ibsen and the entire time. And it never occurred to me that the training that I was getting was a very Eurocentric because you don't question the things that, are, that you're taught mm-hmm. when you're learning them. And mm-hmm. so you make these like subconscious agreements around you know, what value is, what constitutes good mm-hmm. art, what constitutes legitimate art. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I mean, we, we hope I, you know, right turn into a different conversation around mm-hmm. identity and things like that. But um, the, there's a little, there's a little anxiety too around like once I, if I were to, like the thing I love so much doing theater, like is, does, is there room for me in that world? Mm-hmm. Will they take me? Because I don't look like the history of what that institution is, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and how did you grapple with that? Uh, I, I it's, actually, it's actually one of the reasons why I started directing mm-hmm. is because I auditioned for things all the time and never got cast. Mm-hmm. And just was like, I must really suck as an actor. And I think on some <laughs> of it, I probably am not a very good actor. <laughs> but the fact that like, why am I not being cast in Streetcar? Mm-hmm. Why am I not being cast in Noises Off? Mm-hmm. This is, re- I must really suck. You know what? If I, and, and I so wanted to hang with the same people. Like I wanted to be around those people. So I said, you know, if you're not going to cast me, I will find a way to be the one doing the casting. (laughs) That is also so (laughs) Asian. And it's hard because, you know, like, how do you become a director? How do you get into that? Well, I mean, a lot of it is, you know, the right person has to entrust you with a project. Mm -hmm. Um, Or you have the money, you save enough pennies and you make it your damn self. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, At the end of the day, like, how do you put how do you end up becoming the person in charge? Mm -hmm. Having been in the room with you for 
how many days now? Four days now. Four days. But also like more than that because we've been having conversations for a while. Like the way you work is so sensitive to every single human being in the room. And I think that's, I mean, I think a lot of good directors are like that. But to be able to balance all the energies that are flying around the room at any given time, Mm -hmm. not be Mm -hmm. flustered, Mm -hmm. be able to take in everything and process that, I feel like that is a gift in itself. And you said that grad school gave you um, the tools to like do that. Mm-hmm. Do you want to share a little bit about that? Yeah. I mean, a lot of what you're talking about, the people management part of the, I think that has a lot to do with who I am as a, as a human. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not not emotional, but I'm not prone to like extreme emotional reactions. Mm-hmm. Um so I, I tend to temper feelings really well. I tend to work well under stress. I don't I don't flip out. I don't panic. Um, and so I think because of that, I'm able to handle high octane material. I'm able Is to that handle like, like like that's you. That's me. That's me as a human. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like we had a moment today in rehearsal where I was talking about like when people, you know, like we were talking about um, the character of Ching and whether or not she when she gets angry does she hit or does she cry? Right. Like I. I don't have a really bad temper. So when I get really upset, if I get truly, truly upset, I'll start crying. Wow. I don't, I don't externalize my, I don't like lash out, mm. you know. Um, what do you think are good qualities that a director should have other than what, what I was discussing? Uh, I think, I mean, honestly, the thing the director absolutely needs to have is the ability to make choices. Mm-hmm. Like the ability to make decisions. A director is a person who makes choices. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, uh, and 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 to make them and be accountable for them, mm-hmm. right? For me, there's a there's a responsibility that comes with the job, and so the director's job is to take a piece of work, reduce and clarify it, and through a series of choices, mm-hmm. and be able to defend those choices. Mm-hmm. Um, everything else is is personality. Everything else is like sure, and 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 through that 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 can involve nurturing. That can involve things like collaboration. But at the end of the day, if you tell me X or Y, and I'm staging something, I should be able to tell you X or Y, and then mm-hmm. te- X or Y, and then say Y, mm-hmm. or I mean, not not <laughs> not Y, the letter Y, W H Y Y. That was a horrible example, I but mean, you got it. A right? or B, and then Y, <laughs> <laughs> and tell, and then be able to and re- right. Because I, I I think the irresponsible director is the person who doesn't make a choice, and then by default a choice gets made because that person didn't intend to make a choice, right? There's there has to be intentionality and then mm-hmm. accountability mm-hmm. with the work. If I make this choice, I'm going to make this choice, and I have to stand behind it. And then if I fail, I have to like be accountable for that failure. Mm-hmm. But also like going through like <laughs> the duality of your life, I feel like being a director is also. You have to be a really good collaborator. And, and and you're saying, like, you have to make all these decisions. Yes, th- these decisions have to be made. Mm-hmm. But there's also, like, so many other people that are involved that you have to work with. And, yeah. like, you have to, like, take into account all their suggestions and their thoughts and yeah. their feelings and basically everything. And their expertise, too, right? Because yes. everyone has yes. their strengths. Yeah. And then making a clear decision on that. Yeah, it, it only benefits me to get all the fe- all the feedback I can get because at the end of the day, I get to pick. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, but I don't understand directors who don't listen to other people because, mm-hmm. like, what's the threat? I'm the one. I mean, 
I'm the powerful person in the room. Like, I don't know what the fuss is about. Like, yeah. why directors can't listen to other people. Like, the worst thing that happens is I hear you and go, okay, cool, that was wrong. I don't want to do that. Moving on. It's right? very similar to writing when yeah. you get so many opinions, so like inundated yeah. with like so many opinions. At the end of the day, you're making the decision. You're, you're the ones putting the words on the page, yeah. right? So... Listen to yourself, but take into account all these other factors that, yeah. I mean, all have valid reasons for existing. Yeah. And the only reason why a director, I mean, the only the only reason, I think the only reason why I would not listen to somebody is because there's not enough time. Mm. Time would be the only obstacle to me being able to take into account all the feedback in the room. The, I feel like time is always, a, like, the least, like, you have to dig for it. You yes. have to, like, really fight for it. You have to find it. And, and because if we have, like, a two-month rehearsal process, right. so much can be done. Right. I will, yeah, the only two limiting factors are time and money mm-hmm. to get in the way of the, doing the thing you want to do. Mm-hmm. I, I either can't afford it or I don't have time to do it. Um, and that also applies to life. Right? Just thinking about that. Time and money. Time for and a money. Second. Right, either I can spend an hour cleaning my house or I can pay someone to clean my house. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Such first world problems. <laughs> I know, because we have running water and antibiotics. <laughs> But it's, but I, I sometimes, okay, like today we were in rehearsal and, and Daniel was kind of like on his phone, shout out to Daniel and being on his phone. <laughs> but he, he said this line and, and it made me think a lot. The world is falling the fuck apart. People are dying. Yes. Shit is going down. Yes. And we're here in a fucking rehearsal room doing theater. Yeah, lucky us, right? And it like makes you feel like helpless and little in a way. But then, you know, like what I said earlier, like. You know when a work works, there's like an infinite way and path to healing. Mm-hmm. But how do you justify doing theater? Like, you, you know what I'm saying, right? Like, uh, this is what I plague myself with so often, mm-hmm. right? Because we go, I mean, the more you become aware about how, about, you know, the many other ways. If I wanted to save lives, I would have been a doctor. Exactly. Which I, so full circle. I love it. Mm-hmm. Like, Yes, yes, exactly yeah. that. Yeah, right? right. If I want to save lives, if I, wanted, if I wanted to cure cancer, if I really wanted to do these things. I mean, at the end of the day, if I were to be really honest, it's because I'm selfish, mm. right? And I, and I hate admitting, I mean, in, in, in a weird way, like, why does anyone do art? Art is an expression. And what makes my expression more valid than anyone else's expression? Mm-hmm. Um, for some reason people have decided that they want to see the things that I express. Like I make people for some reason think that I'm the person they want to hire to tell the story. Mm. Um, I think storytelling is super valuable. Uh, it's not the same thing as, you know, it's not as immediate and tangible as like medicine or surgery or, you know, funding someone to, you know, build a house. I don't know. Right. There's so many ways you can actually do practical uh, service mm-hmm. or good. But, storytelling has been around since the beginning of time right Right. for mankind at least Mm -hmm. i don't know about animals but for mankind i bet dolphins tell stories oh my god great those are my favorite animals (laughs) honestly i can't go into that but but storytelling has been around forever and it still persisted and then you question like why Mm -hmm. why is it because we need to tell stories in order to escape from the disasters of the world and the sh- like the truths of the world mm-hmm. or do we do it because we're telling the truths of the world in a way that maybe is a little bit more accessible to people i think it's because by nature we're wired to be social creatures mm-hmm. i think 
and if there is I any, mean, what is news but storytelling, right? The daily mm-hmm. news is telling, oh my God, this happened to me today. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because we are, our brains are wired to be social creatures. And it's, I mean, it's the reason why solitary confinement is prison. It's, right. it's punishment. Right. Time out for kids is punishment. You don't get to play at recess. You don't get to be with other people. Right. right? I think, and that's why we talk about people who are sociopaths, who can't empathize, who can't connect. Um, right. This idea that punishment is about uh, divorcing an individual from his community, from his society. Mm-hmm. And so I think storytelling, it's not not necessarily fiction, but just storytelling is the act of communicating, mm-hmm. is the act of exchanging thoughts and opinions and feelings between two individuals. Um, and that can be something as great as, oh my God, the world is fucked, we have to fix it. it <laughs> that can be Shakespeare. And that can also be, oh my God, I saw this great thing at the store today, or like, I saw this cat. Here's this cat meme, right? <laughs> That's storytelling. Like, Instagramming mm-hmm. is, is storytelling. So I think for me, it's, it's that simple. It's the exchange of ideas. Mm-hmm. Ideas, opinions, feelings. Because between, we're social creatures. Because we're naturally social creatures. I think that's kind of where I am with it. And theater is, you know, the most archaic version of that, that just somehow hasn't been contaminated. I mean, it's clearly been contaminated by technology. Mm-hmm. But it's still... It's our version of gathering at the fire and sharing an experience. It just mm-hmm. so happens. And now it's taken the form of sit in a theater, be quiet, watch these lights, and people, and people get to you know, reenact stuff, right? Um, that's just a particular form right. of storytelling. Right. But, we, we, but theater is the art of communication. We just communicate. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. And, and you've worked around the country all over the country regionally directing project after project after project (laughs) and talk about what that experience is like like going around the country and like sharing your vision on work that has been existing for a long time like Shakespeare Mm -hmm. or like new work like Lauren E's plays Mm -hmm. and new musicals like what is the difference between all these processes what is the similarity and what's like the best thing that you love about your job doing this the best thing, okay, so I'll start with the, what I love about my job. Um, I get to travel, which mm-hmm. is great. And that varies from like big cities to small towns. Mm-hmm. Um, I also, there's, a, <laughs> this is probably not the most noble thing to say, but when you're a guest artist, no one ever gets sick of you. <laughs> 
they're always they're always excited to see you. They're always yeah. sad when you go. Yeah. So yeah, you're yeah. always you're you're always so deeply valued, mm-hmm. and this constant feeling of gratitude and appreciation is like I can't get enough of that. People always <laughs> love me when I show up, and they're always so sad when I go. And they, but you need to know, like that's because you're doing good work, right? Can you imagine if you're not like? Well, why no, would then anyone... I wouldn't get hired. I wouldn't be. I'd be. I'd be at home and depressed and not working. <laughs> Directing in particular, and I'm sure acting too. Um, it's a very promiscuous craft. Mm-hmm. We have to practice promiscuity, mm-hmm. and we have to practice this idea of intense vulnerability and intense engagement. I have to go. Out, I have to. Sh- I have to meet these strangers. You know, mostly strangers. Some friends. Right. First day of rehearsal. You go into a process, you throw yourself into it, you love really hard, four and a half weeks later, and I leave. That is so, that is actually something. And it's like, it's like constantly like meeting and loving and breaking up, meeting and loving and breaking up. Does that wear on you a little bit? Because I know that I, that process always drove me a little crazy. Like the saying goodbye part? or Just the- like coming together and being like, yes, I love you. And then it's also the very American, I love you. It's not like... You know how like Chinese people don't like immediately go like yes, you know, and like <laughs> totally, and then and then it's like okay, wait, but do you actually love me or like is it just like you're just doing? Are the you thing just practicing or just... the motions of I love exactly. you exactly? Really. And then like and then you, you always will have like one or two that you really really people that you connect with right on your contract, and right. it's like when your friends after the show's over, right? Yeah, and you then you have know, the sh- yeah. there's the showmances, and then there's the ones that like last beyond the showmance. Yeah, and, and those that actually last last will be forever. Yeah, they're your like, friends, really, your really. Friends. Yeah, but then it's like. That is a process that's like, I haven't gotten used to it. Yeah. It's something you, I've learned to, I mean, it's probably why I don't get super reactionary Mm. in rehearsals. I've, you know, I learned to traffic in feelings. Mm. I learned to traffic in in that world of intense vulnerability, intense availability, and then be able to set like reasonable boundaries around it. For yourself. Yeah. For myself. And, um, you know, I, I, in my process, once we hit tech, I slowly start backing out of the room, <laughs> you know? And I mean, not literally, but I mean, oh my God, actors don't listen to this, right? <laughs> but it, it's, it's, it's useful because it's part, of, it's part of the detaching process is so that when the show opens, the actors are like, get out of here, director. This is our show now. We're going to take it. We're going to run with it. We're going to like mm-hmm. do the thing. Great. What they don't want, again, it's that, it's a, it's a version of, I'm going to grad school. There's going to be an end. Get ready for the end, mm. right? You have to prepare for that moment when you leave. It's bittersweet, but they're ready to go. And by God, hopefully they don't need you there anymore. What I'm mm. trying to practice now in my life is a greater embracing of impermanence, mm. you know? Um, cause, uh, so this is something about me that I don't really, I mean, uh, I can talk about it. I'm like deeply afraid of dying, Oh, wow. Like mortality, I have like I mean, it partially has to do with like my biology thing and the whole like cadavers not in a bag. Yeah. Um, but I remember, um, you know, attending um, when I was eight years old. My great grandmother passed away in Taiwan, mm-hmm. and we went back to Taiwan to her funeral. And I'd never been to a funeral before. So that was your first one. My first one, and it was a fucking like the Buddhist yeah. funeral. Yeah, cremation. Yeah, chanting wood blocks. I mean, the ash in the air. It was traumatizing for me to be like she was cremated in front of you i did not go i was like well but apparently i mean i didn't go like my grandmother and i stayed behind but there was they went up to like at the crematorium and but yeah yeah, yeah. we go to crematoriums too but we don't see it burn like we don't like have the ash like flying on your face is that a thing 
I don't know. I mean, it was definitely there. And we, I didn't go. My mom was like, you and grandma sit here. We're going to go. And I don't know what happened. All I knew is that I was exempt for those two hours. Wow. And um, we, were, we, and we carried her clothes and we were like throwing her clothes into like fires, throwing like her things. And it was, it was so, I mean, it's part of the culture and that's what they do. But it, for me, it was so harrowing and such a like, this idea of, the people, the the things, this woman that I loved, and us burning her things, and she's dead, and we, and I had, to, I remember like my parents took me to like view the body beforehand, and mm-hmm. it was like in Taiwan, and there were other bodies around, like covered in mosquito netting. It was just not a very, like, it was not a funeral of like polite tears, right? Like I think in America, funerals are very austere and polite, and they're like tears, and it's a coffin, and there's a lot of like white flowers. It was this loud, clangy, wailing Buddhist funeral, wow. right? And so after experiencing that, I've I've been very terrified of death, of mm-hmm. mortality, and and you know, all the things that are. I think na- I mean humans are naturally afraid of anyway. But for me, that fear was super amplified wow. after that. And so I've been and. Part of the reason why I love theaters is because it's perpetual creation, mm. um, but birth, yeah. Mm. And then finding ways to like dealing with ending, right? Mm. If I if I, if I can constantly expose myself to ending and termination, I start to embrace that this idea of the idea that the world is impermanent and that I can't nothing is forever. I can't, and I have, I'm trying to like flex that muscle more. I want to yeah. flex that muscle like nothing's precious. It can't be precious. You know, you will die someday. The world will go. The sun will burn out someday. Like. Find peace with that soon because the the more you latch onto it, the more it's gonna suck when it has to happen. I love that. I love that. Like theater is giving you, know? you the process, and it's a process for you, right? Like it's like yeah, for you to discover that idea of impermanence. I mean, I I I say it now, but I've never really been afraid of death. Oh, and lucky. And it's, <laughs> and it's I think it's weird. I think it's not that yeah. I'm not afraid of it. I think it's like. I don't think about it constantly, yeah. and if I, and I, and I kind of like live my life where I'm like, if I die tomorrow, will I be okay? Like, yeah. will I be okay with where I am today? Right. Yes. And, and that's, that, I mean, ideally, that's what we want to do. And right? I answer that every day with like, yes. Like, I am where I need to be today. Yeah. I'm doing everything that I want to like be no doing. Regrets. Yeah. And 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 just like seizing every moment and just going forward with it and. The idea of impermanence, I am such a small, tiny speck of dust in the whole concept of the universe. Mm-hmm. I mean, every time you go to a fucking museum, they show you, like, the timeline history of the world. And right. then you're like, like humans that... Yeah, I was like, <laughs> um, excuse me. Yeah, like, <laughs> hello, we've not even existed from any time. I mean, there's huge existential crisis, like, crisis questions that I, like, live with daily where I'm like, why are we here? Mm-hmm. Why are we doing the things that we do? But if you... If you live your day, if you live your day to day, like being hard, like so weighed down by all of that, yeah. How are you gonna? How are you gonna find how joy? You, how are you available to those things? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so that's yeah. So but I, know, I, 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 I love that theater is helping, just like unlock that for you and, yeah. and exploring that. Yeah, I just I mm. I think a lot of what I'm trying to do ultimately is like, uh, how do I like? How do I like? Escape the suffering of life. <laughs> yeah. What's yeah. the dream? Yeah. Like what's oh. the God, I don't what's know. the dream? Like the dream job, oh. the dream project, the the dream 
like the goal. Like, I mean, this is a question I do ask all my guests, yeah. right? And and it's not much the dream, but how would you define success? But I but I'm also like on the parallel, like what is the dream? How do you define success? I think those two things are very much tied together a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, so what do you think? I I I feel like I'm I I'm on the verge of some kind of change. I don't know what that is, probably because I'm approaching my midlife crisis, whatever that means. <laughs> but I I feel like I've been doing theater for like 15 years and a very happy regionally mm-hmm. and you know New York for a long time I thought I wanted to do like New York and be on Broadway and I think if that if that were to happen, that would I would I would absolutely welcome those things, but it's not that what that's no longer the goal for me mm. you know i think for a while i would say if you asked me like five years ago the goal would be like oh yeah something commercial and big and impressive and i don't know what that is now um because i want i think I, it, it's gonna, whatever it is it's going to be beyond the scope of theater mm. um and i don't know what that is you know it's and and i only ask myself this because you know this there's been a, a kind of cycling of hires around artistic directorship at regional theaters and people have asked do you want these jobs do you want mm. that job and I kind of go I I keep thinking I do mm-hmm. until I get turned down from one and then I'm relieved that I didn't get it so mm-hmm. part of me feels like it's so it feels like emotionally or spiritually I'm looking for some kind of change or looking for some kind of leveling up and I don't know what that is mm-hmm. right now um, so I don't have like a hard answer for the dream thing because mm-hmm. I because it it was just a bigger version of what I'm doing today, right? Or a bigger project, and I'm like, no, I think whatever it is, it's it, it's beyond that. Great. I and I think I just maybe need to go to like Tibet and find it. I love it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> or that pod, the sensory deprivation yeah, pod. I'm gonna go like I'm gonna go like float in a pod and find that. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Um, and if you could tell yourself one thing, so like. <laughs> today, Desdemona, today, if you could tell Desdemona, you know, when she was three or when she was nine or when she went to high school and did midsummer or when she went to college, like if you could tell yourself one thing, what would that be? Oh, God. <laughs> it's almost like I don't want to like out my family, right? But in no. some ways, it's like it's okay that you're different, mm. you know? Or, or, or like, don't, I don't know. It's, it's, it's something around, like, don't let the disappointment of other people define the choices that you make. That is a fucking great quote. You know? I mean, it's, it's in some ways, it's like the only agreement you need to make is the one with yourself, mm. right? And it's hard because all we do is make agreements with other people all mm-hmm. the time. And I think, the for me, the thing I'm most proud of about myself is that... I, I feel like, at least at the moment, until I'm proven wrong, <laughs> I feel like I'm at a place right now in my life where um, not a lot gets to me because I've been, I've, I've, I've come to a place of my parameters and my goals and my successes are mine to define. Like, like and and this is hard when it comes to praise too, praise and criticism, mm-hmm. right? The only person who I can't do this with is my mom <laughs> mm. when my mom comes to see a show i'm like oh my god oh my god oh my god i'm freaking out in the audience you can put you can put charles isherwood you can put a thousand charles isherwoods mm-hmm. into my theater and i wouldn't give two shits wow. you put my mom in the theater and suddenly i'm like <gasps> biting my nails biting my nails have been wow. in the corner and that's i think that's and and which is crazy because my mom is the chillest person ever right. but um that is something i still need to like 
loosen up on myself. But my, m- like, you determine yourself. mortality and your mother. That's <laughs> pretty much. That's like that's the book. That's a book right there. Mortality and your mother. <laughs> I will read that book. I would absolutely yeah. read that book. Yeah. All right, and we're gonna wrap this up. So Yay. one last question for you. Okay. Um, if you can ask me. One question. Oh my God! I what wish I'd prepared be? for this one. I didn't know. I would have done my homework, but what I want to ask you on this podcast. I know nobody. Nobody comes prepared for this, and it's always like, oh, what, what, what? I don't. I was prepared to be the interviewee. Yes. Yeah. This is going to be a really. It's a very superficial question, mm. right? Um, rice or noodles or bread. <gasps> That's actually a really easy question for me. Is it rice? Noodles. Oh, what? Okay. I love noodles. noodles. I, okay, this is really weird. So I don't really like bread. I know my, my parents really love bread. Mm-hmm. And we, they eat bread every morning. And of course, we eat rice for dinner a lot. But then if I, can, if I get to choose between all of them, it's always going to be noodles. And I don't really have an answer for it. Like why? Like any kind of noodles, right? Like Yellow noodles, rice pot noodles, thai, yeah, rice noodles, uh, yeah, any kind, like uh, pot, yeah, any kind of noodles, but not like macaroni. I do not like macaroni. How do you know that? You want you want the long stringy? Yes, this yes. Of the long stringy. Yes, okay. But I, I, I mean, like pot thai is pot thai is fine, but like pot siu is fine, hall <laughs> fun is fine. You know, like flat noodles is fine. Yeah, like yeah. anything that's like noodles based. And my mom's always like, noodles make you so fat, but it's true. Right, carby. It's What's true. What's not rice? Rice and bread too, but that, but like yeah, the but three, think, the three categories of carbs, right? Is like yeah. rice, noodles, bread. But I'm like always. noodles, I think are the worst out of the three, and I think, of course, I'm the one that loves that. <laughs> did you like that episode of Eastside Story? If you did, follow us on Instagram at Eastside Story Pod and at Chiang Music. Go on to Apple Podcasts, rate us, review us, and don't forget to subscribe. Or if you're a Spotify user, you can also click the follow button. Even better, you can tell someone about the podcast. And the best part, they don't even have to be Asian. <laughs> Thank you so much for your support, and I'll see you next week. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.